The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Most of the world is familiar by now of the elephant crisis across the forests of Central Africa and the savannas of Sub-Saharan Africa, and even perhaps the different challenges faced by Asian elephants in Thailand, India, and Sri Lanka. But there are other rare and singular populations of elephants that live in completely different environments, the desert elephants of northern Namibia, and then those that have passed for millennia through Mali on their annual circular migration passing near Timbuktu. And while passing through this landscape today, they face threats they've never had to face before. You might immediately think it's the local people, but that is not the case. The locals revere and respect these elephants and their migratory route and their need for food and water. The challenges today are poaching and wars for power and resources, and both the local communities and the elephants are caught in the crossfire. So, that brings us to today, and enter my guest today, Rory Young, and the Chingeta Wildlife Organization. Welcome, Rory. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to catch up with you. I think I've been trying to track you down for a couple of years now. A lot of things are really heating up in Mali, and I believe you've just come back. And it, we spoke with Nigel uh, Kuhn a little while ago, and Nigel introduced you to our listeners and Chengeta because he's working with you now. So now we get to hear from you um, mm. directly, and you're one of the co-founders yep. of Chengeta Wildlife, right? Yes, that's correct. I'm, I'm one of the co-founders, the director, and I'm chief instructor of the Mali Anti-Poaching Brigade, the Mixed Army Ranger Anti-Poaching Brigade. Um, so chief instructor as in the, the actual doctrine that's used by the, the, the brigade, brigade for its operations um, and the actual training they do. Um, and then, of course, um, we mentor them in their, in their day-to-day work. So we don't just put them on a training course and then send them out to, to go and do all the dirty work. We get out there with them and we teach them in operations, so during live operations. So this is very different than a lot of the other anti-poaching, militia, ex um, special forces type anti-poaching units that are going on in, let's say, South Africa, the Kruger and Mozambique. You have a very different philosophy here, and it's a very different landscape. So um, 
That's right. There's one word you said there that's kind of scary, and it sounds kind of brings up colonial reminders, the word doctrine. Can you help yes. us understand that a little bit more and <laughs> why we should not cringe at that word? Um, doctrine is a term as opposed to dogma. You know, we don't, it's, it means it's used, it's nothing to do with religion or colonialism or anything else. It's used by the military law enforcement all over the world to define a collection of guidelines. So in other words, it's your whole approach, methodology, your tactics, your training that's used to deal with the problem of poaching. So that in our case, that includes community, which is a, a, probably the first priority. And that's that's very simple. Um, poaching is a people problem. It's not an animal problem. The, the problem of poaching starts and ends with people. We create the problem and we have to solve it. Um, so community trying to, to deal with problem uh, with the problem of poaching without involving the population and the country as a whole and the, the local population in particular um, is setting itself up to fail. Then we work with uh, an intelligence-driven approach. So in other words, information um, and understanding the problem based on the information we gather um, through analysis and then planning uh, the the solutions and the operations to fix that problem, not grab a, uh, a system or doctrine, whatever you prefer, um, from another part of the world and try to knock that square peg into a round hole. So uh, in the case of, of Mali, um, you have a number of, of generators converging. Um, one is uh, poverty, another ethnic conflict, you have three dramatically different ethnic groups meeting in the Gorma, where the, the, the area where the, uh, the elephants migrate. And uh, you, you have um, conflict, religious conflict. Um, so a breakdown of, of rule of law, peace and security um, allows uh, criminality to flourish and uh, opportunists to enter and take advantage of the situation. So Choosing the right solution is extremely important. For example, you wouldn't go along and and try to educate, uh, use normal education uh, methods to to stop um, organised criminals. They don't care. Sensitising and educating them has minimal effect. Um, on the other hand, arresting someone um, for who's starving. It's not going to deter them. If a whole population is starving, you need to feed them. <laughs> You've got to find a solution to their problem. Right. Um, and likewise, if there's a breakdown of rule of law, you need to restore rule of law. If it's ignorance, in other words, people don't even know they're doing something wrong, and that's the reason they're poaching, you need to educate them. So choosing the right solution is absolutely critical. And in the Goma, the f- biggest problem we have is a, full, a complete breakdown of peace and security rule of law. So the, the rebellion that took place um, five years, four years ago, um, followed by the, uh, the takeover by the jihadist terrorists and then the subsequent after the, the what they call the reconquest when the French uh, and the Malians um, pushed back the, the the rebels and the jihadist groups. Um, you had a period of of and which has continued to this day and has continued to escalate. You have had a, a lower intensity terrorist uh, war ongoing, and 
obviously, if you're trying to do with, deal with any of the problems, whether it's poverty or, or ignorance or um, desper- any desperation, um, it's incredibly difficult if you can't even get into an area. So the first task we've had to deal with recently has been to train a mixed military ranger um, and other services unit um, to enable us and um, others to to get into the the areas we need to get into. And um, let me let me interject yeah. one second. Yeah. We need a little more history here and we're going to get into where you're leading to right now we've got a little time so what i'd like to do for our listeners is i don't think many people are even aware of molly uh, in in the landscape and the environment that you're dealing with in west africa we're all familiar with terrorism and jihadism but mostly in terms of let's say the u.s political fight iraq iran all that and sudan and somalia but we're, we're talking about the other side of the continent now, which yes. a lot of people are not familiar with. Can you give us you, – you touched on a bit of the history. Yes. Can you give us a bit more information and background yep. of the environment, the, yep. the geography, and the landscape, and, and, and some of the players that you're dealing with on, let's say, your side versus the players on the other side, the ones that you're protecting yeah. from being – Right. So – Mali used to be called the French Sudan. That's a a clue to the terrain, the geography of the place. Even though it's on the other side of the continent from modern Sudan and South Sudan, which were the British Sudan and uh, Egypt run by the Egyptians and the British uh, historically, Mali is where the Sahel, uh, it's a Sahel country, and the Sahara meets, uh, comes in the north, meets Sahara, and then further south, uh, woodland forest. So Sahel means seashore. Well, means shore. So it's the shore. Imagine a sea, well, the Sahara being a, a sand, a sea of sand. Sahel means um, the seashore. And the Sahel countries stretch across from West Africa all the way across to the Horn of Africa. And they are an extremely important area, all of them, in terms of wildlife and human conflict. Um, as the desert, desertification is moving south, the Sahara is moving south, and as populations are growing, there's more and more ethnic conflict and religious conflict as uh, pastoral people are moving south into areas that have historically belonged to other ethnic groups. So in the case of Mali, you've got the Tuareg people, the, the Tamashek, who are a warrior ethnic group. All right. They're also Sorry? known as the Blue Men of the Desert, and they're a matriarchal I- society. That's correct. Um, they are a matriarchal society. The women own the tents and other assets. Um, they decide when the, the camp moves, and, and very often they, they even decide when war is waged. If they um, divorce, for example, the men are kicked out. Uh, the women don't leave. The men, the women stay with the livestock and the, the children, the, the, the tents and so on. So they are a, a matriarchal society. And then you have I'm the just going to interject. This is a really yeah. um, unique atmosphere to be working in 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 terms of other cultures across Africa. There are very few matriarchal societies. So it is a big clue to how you and your team work with the communities, the Toreg communities. Yeah. It requires a very different approach and we're gonna get into that some more. So So um, the Wild Foundation 
set up eight years ago, before the conflict started, had been doing amazing work with the communities in community conservation, um, teaching, setting up community, what they call the community brigades, who manage the forests, educate the, 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 the local communities on how to sustainably use the forests without damaging them, and how to maintain, uh, how to uh, uh, um, provide the right information to um, government and uh, to Wild Foundation on the elephant movements, for example, um, regarding population, any threats to them, and so on. And that was doing exceptionally well until the breakdown of peace and security and rule of law. Um, and then we had a, a, a situation where um, they couldn't do their work and the community were under threat. Now, the reason those 350-odd elephants are still in the, the, the Saharan and Sahel area is not because the poachers had just hadn't got to them yet. It's because of that special relationship that the elephants have with those communities in that area. And they are treated with, the elephants are, a, uh, for some ethnic groups, are a sign of prosperity. Uh, for others, they're a, a, a sign of good, good fortune. Um, and for others, it's a very practical thing. You know, the elephants eat leaves and knock down pods, so the goats will, will eat those pods and, and produce more milk, for example. Um, and, and often people don't understand that people who live that close to the to the earth are far more in tune uh, yeah far more in tune with the importance of their environment and and uh, and and so and natural resources they need less explaining and educating than than we would imagine that's an important so, point i think often you know as we talk about education and this you know conservation model that we have today that people misunderstand what education is being taught it's it's and to integrate the education of the local communities. If we don't bring that um, historical relationship that you just told us about into the equation of providing solutions that the people and the wildlife are facing, then we're not really creating any, anything new. In fact, we're usually getting in the way of what we could Absolutely. call progress. A Absolutely. You know, because someone might not be... Um, technologically savvy doesn't mean they're an idiot. Um, those people are, if you, for example, if I go into the bush with, a, with any ethnic group in their traditional environment, and they're experts in their environment, I learn from them. So I might bring out other knowledge or ideas from elsewhere. But if I'm with a, a, a Tamashek um, in his environment, he's the expert in his environment. They are incredibly in tune with their surroundings. And where, where many organizations get it wrong is when they imagine some teenage kid on a gap year um, is going to you know, teach blindingly obvious environmental um, knowledge to, to someone who lives in that environment. So, you know, <laughs> getting, a, getting a school leaver to go and explain to a village chief the importance of looking after his environment, he'll, he'll think you're just completely stupid. This, they, is, this is the conversation I've been having lately with many people um, in this shift that we have to take. Uh, uh, let's call it Conservation 2.0, World Version Update. This whole model has to shift where the Western mindset has to 
sit back and realize we have a lot to learn from the in situ mindset so that we can help collaborate and work together to provide solutions. Uh, Absolutely. And first of all, you need to understand what they do know, what their needs are. Then you can start talking about what education they might need or might might want. You know, you, you can't force knowledge on someone if they don't want it. So, you, first of all, you've got to, you've got to establish a, 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 a relationship with those people. And if the, the most important thing is, is building their own capacity. They have to educate themselves. Um, so, you teach teachers. You don't go, you know, one of the, a, a, a crucial, um, extremely important principle we follow is we are not there to stay. When we go anywhere with Chengeta, it is to pass on, to, to provide solutions, to harmonize the, the, the existing effort with other uh, skills and, and, and doctrine, and to then ensure that as soon as possible, there are people locally who, can, who understand it and can implement it. There is a, a, an, an ongoing, established, and effective um, wildlife protection program that, is, you know, that can do without us. And everything is written in written form. So we provide manuals, training manuals, operation manuals. We, we teach instructors and we ensure that there is a competent and effective unit actually operating. When we've got all three of those, we've done our job. All right. I need to interject a minute because we're going to get yeah. into this right now. We need yeah. to step away for a short break. So um, listeners, stick with us and we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, Rory Young, co-founder of Chingetta Wildlife. And they're working in Mali to um, help assist the dynamic of several communities and several challenges to help protect the desert elephants of uh, Mali that do a circular trek and pass near Timbuktu. So we ended the last section, um, a very stimulating section. We got some history of what the landscape is, but now we're at your approach. So you have an acronym called RESPECT. Um, You've told us what you do and who you work with. Now let's refine this a little bit more in your approach and who it is you're working with. Right. Um, RESPECT um, stands for rules, education, social policing, economic incentives, community, and tools, technology, and infrastructure. So basically, those are, those are all the different areas that can positively affect or, or, or enhance or allow for a harmonious relationship between community and environment. Um, the, there's a, a misconception that you can somehow separate nature from man in these in, in Africa, and that's and in many not only in Africa, in, in many places. And I think people forget that we come from nature. You know, we are a part of nature. We, we we're not separate from it. It's not us and nature. We are a, a part of it. And areas where you do have a, a clear line, in other words, a, a clearly protected area, a national park, and then outside that you have a human population, is not a, a natural situation. And it is certainly not the situation in Mali. The elephants in Mali move amongst the, the nomads. So the Tuareg, the Fula, and others move throughout the Sahel area, and then the elephants are moving as well. They're migrating. So... You can't separate the elephants. You can't say, okay, you've got to stop now. They do a three and a half thousand kilometer migration, a big circle, anti-clockwise circle. You can't say, okay, you're going to stop now and everyone's going to stop and you're going to go and be- in, stay in between these fences. It just doesn't work like that. Not only that, but the fences in a lot of places where that has, is, the, is the case are being broken down. People are, are forcing their way through them. The answer has to go beyond a fortress approach. And in Mali, you can't even start with a fortress approach because that is really not the situation. But like I say, in other parks, they are trying to stem this massive tide of, of, of pressure, of, of poaching pressure from communities. The only way to do it is to work with those communities. And in the case of Mali, the, any, any, not only Mali, any, any community, if you have the community on site, it is extremely difficult for a poacher or trafficker to operate um, under the radar, so to speak. People talk, villagers talk to each other, everyone knows everyone else's business. And if as a group they reject that behavior, then it's going to be extremely difficult for anyone to get away with it. And the inherent weakness of poaching trafficking is that it's a complex crime. It's not a simple crime. It's not you grab a brick, throw it through a window, steal a watch, 
put it on your wrist and you walk off and no one's the wiser. This is a crime that requires large numbers of different people fulfilling different roles, supplying ammunition, weapons, transportation, corrupt officials, um, the actual hunting, you know, the security of the group, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's lots of people involved and there's lots of steps in the, in the process. And that makes it inherently weak. So working with a community means that all it takes is one person to open their mouth. And even if you only have a, a large minority of the community or even a few key individuals who are on your side, you're going to get that, in, that information. And if you get that information, you can now act on it. If you treat the, end, the community as an enemy, you're not going to get any information. And if you have no information, you're operating blind. And anyone who thinks that they can treat the community as an enemy and somehow ward off this mass of evil, bad people out there from their park, well, then they're, 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 they're stupid because it's impossible. So in Mali, um, the, the, it, it was far easier for us to set up the actual anti-poaching operation of the, you know, the mixed um, unit to tackle the, the, the terrorists, the, the bandits and others that, are, that were engaging in poaching. Because we are, Wild Foundation already established a wonderful relationship with the communities. So it was far easier for us to then operate. So it's a two-way flow of information. You are educating, sensitizing com communities, teaching them how to, to look after the forests and their environment and how to benefit from it without destroying it. And they, in return, are, are feeding, giving you information on the elephants' movements, their health, um, and so on, and especially any threats. So poachers, traffickers or any suspect individuals that might be following the elephants. So when you, you're saying teaching the local communities, before we had said, you know, they have an inherent um, yes. millennia-long relationship with this landscape. So mm -hmm. when you say teaching, you're talking about modern tools, which fall into your the acronym of RESPECT, modern tools and technology <laughs> that will help yes. benefit them in this yes, rather is, sear landscape. Yes, that is one, one important tool. And they, there is change going on in those communities. So although they may be traditional, you know, these guys still walking around with swords in the, in the Goma. We, we bump into all them to them all the time. There's still slaves in the, in the Goma. 200,000 people are still slaves. Wow. Um, but it's changing. But it's not changing just in a positive way. It's changing in a very negative way as well. So on the one hand, there is um, uh, uh, um, an understanding that certain practices are totally unacceptable. But there is also the problem of now everyone wants bling, everyone wants a smartphone, and everyone, and and there's a, a, a growing materialism. So, whereas in say, let's say hypothetically, I don't know, in, in another country in in Asia, for example, it might be cool to have a cell phone, a smartphone with lots of um, um, gold stuff. on. Right. Yeah, okay. Stuff. In the Goma. If I'm amongst a full of people, for example, it is to have lots of cattle, lots right. of cattle. That means you are you are you're doing well. And it in the past it was it was except you know what was good was to have enough, maybe you know sufficient or maybe some more, but not this this never ending um, effort to 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 have uh, more and more and more. So um, is, is that an increasing problem, more and more cattle in conflict yes. with the landscape and the elephants and therefore, yes. it, you know, having to sort of gear up and um, to maintain all these cattle? And what is the impact 
this increased number of cattle is having on the landscape? And a twofold question, are you educating about the environmental impact of so many cattle? So, So Wild Foundation and its community brigades focus on that aspect of so they, they, the community, when, when they are, they, the, the, the community brigades are, are, are educating the community, the first thing they're teaching them is what, they, what the, their own traditions, what their own uh, um, cultural beliefs and religious beliefs, etc., are about these animals, why they, the positive um, cultural aspects of why they should protect these animals. So, so the community not, brigades are community people. They're not yes. foreigners. They're, okay. No, All right. no, no, no. They are from the community. That's what community brigades. Not, okay. No, no. They, they, they are community members who have been chosen because of their, their, um, um, their desire to, to protect the environment, their, their position in their community, their people who are respected. And they are people who have volunteered to, to, to look after the forests and the elephants. And these people are assisted with um, – training um, in, for example, how to use a GPS um, so we get to the tools and technology. Um, they are reminded of their own cultural traditions, why it's important to, for example, the Dogon people, it's taboo for most Dogon people to, to kill an elephant. They cannot even touch an elephant or any, any, any part of an elephant. So um, that, when that's forgotten, people might poach. But if they're reminded that it's a, it's a taboo, if you're a Dogon and you hurt harm an elephant, you're outcast. You are you are you are cast out, um, and no one in the village will will have anything to do with you. Reminding people of their own traditions is 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 absolutely key. So if these elephants survived in the past because they were protected by the community. There is obviously the information in the community as to why you mustn't touch elephants. So enhancing that, and then adding solutions to their problems. No one gets up in the morning and says, "I'm going to get up today and I'm going to go out and be a complete." piece of work they get up and they say i need to feed feed my children i need to look after my livestock i need to help my community i need to we need to survive i need to do the best i can i need to improve my life and that's where the problems can start because now there's increased desertification there's more and more drought there's an increase in, in in competition because the population has has grown there's more and more people and more and more cattle there's more and more um pressure to to show your wealth you know they will these people not 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 the majority but more and more have access to television and they see you know everyone from the kardashians to everyone else it, it's it's a it, the in the most remote places the most remote places even in places like timbuktu there's a pressure to have more and show more and show how successful you are and the the challenge is without insulting or, or, or using autocratic means to control people is to persuade them to look after their environment and, and to teach them how to do so. Many people, will t- I'm not, uh, you'll be amazed how many poachers I've spoken to, people I've arrested, and I've asked, why do you poach? And they say, I don't want to hurt these animals. I don't want to do this, but I, I believe I have to. I've got no choice. And very often it is a case of, of ignorance or desperation or, um, um, you know, if my, to be quite honest with you, if, if my child is starving to death and I've got no choice, I would probably poach. That's, that's 
anyone in this world who who believes that they are uh, um, somehow above all of that it has never been hungry and they've never seen their own child starving so uh, and and further you know here in the west we live even more isolated from living with nature even though everything we live on is built on this earth in the cities this urbanized western globalized what we're passing on stuff as you said consumerism showing our wealth that is a modern adaptation of a lot of the cultures that you're working with this need to show wealth where before that was not a priority so now yeah. you're working in this shifting landscape. Imagine, um, you know, several communities, different, differing uh, backgrounds, differing beliefs, and the shifting landscape of desert, forest, Sahel, and elephants moving through it, and all yes. of these things coming together with the added pressure of outsiders coming in, transnational crime, upsetting the entire apple cart even more. Exactly, it's it's you know and, and the, it's it's almost as though you know we talk about it. It's it's a clash of cultures. It's a clash of past and future. You know, technology versus uh, the, the the past. You, the difference in these cultures is dramatic. You you know the the difference between a Tamanchek and a Dogon and a Fula is as different as a Mexican is from a a, 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 a Japanese. It in fact more so, and they have. They did live in harmony um, for long periods of time. And there's also been, historically, there's been huge conflict. But it was never as, as potentially as explosive as now. So what incites, what incites the, the disharmony? Is it people inciting against each other within the local communities? Or it's, it's, is it this pressure to show wealth? Or is it the outsider trying to come in and say we can give you money so you can get bling it's more no it's more it's people wanting more and there is less to go around okay there are less resources available for these people natural resources natural resources so there's less grazing for their cattle there's less water now without getting into the whole argument about climate change the fact is there's less water more heat more desertification in this whole region and that region isn't one place. It's from the west all the way across to the east of Africa, where the Sahel, where the Sahara meets the, the savannah, it is moving south. And as it moves south, communities, whole ethnic groups, are forced to move south with it, and they put pressure on the ethnic groups that live there. So, for example, you've got the war in Mali, you've got the war in Central African Republic, where in, in the north, where the, 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 the Muslims in the north, in the north, especially the pearl herders have been moving south into um, the, the area inhabited by, by Bilu people, Bantu people, and they in turn have been moving south into the areas inhabited traditionally by the, the Bayaka Pygmy people. Um, across in, the, in, in Sudan, you've got uh, ex- ex- exactly the same thing. You've got um, herders and pastoral people moving south into areas where um, uh, people traditionally grew crops. Um, there's, there's this change and it's being driven by climate. It's being driven by a change in, in, in attitudes and, and perceived needs. And, um, it's also being driven by, uh, politi- uh, politics and, and geopolitical act, uh, changes. So for example, when it, the war in, in Mali, um, the, the, the began after the fall of Gaddafi in Libya. 
And while the situation might have been right for war, it didn't take place because there was still rule of law. There was still peace and security because the government was in control. There was a minor rebellion. But suddenly when Gaddafi fell, you had this flood of, of Malian mercenaries or soldiers who had been employed and, and trained by Gaddafi for, in, in his Arab legion. And they moved south with unlimited weapons and, and uh, um, supplies. And uh, bingo, you had um, the, the means to launch a rebellion and a, and a war. And, of course, you had this on continuous supply of arms, ammunition, and um, to, to, to feed the current insurgency well, and, and, uh, and terrorist, terrorism. So, so there's many factors, and it's, it's, in, it's in flux. So our, our um, um, solutions and our training is also, it, that's why we use the word, it's a doctrine, it's not a dogma. It's nothing written, it's not, you don't do things by the book. We, we, we issue many procedures, techniques, tactics, um, and guidelines, and we, we train them in. But it has to evolve and adapt. And that, is, of course, is managed. It's not, oh, let's try this today and let's go and experiment with that. We train them, we work out solutions to problems with them, it is then um, um, debated, workshops are, are undertaken to, to um, make decisions. So um, we're going to talk about this a, a little bit more because yeah. right now we do have to step away for a break. But as our listeners can tell, there's a whole lot of moving parts here and that Rory and the communities are all very aware of. So stick with us and we're going to talk about Rory's team and some of the impacts and how you can help and what the future holds. So we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. You're listening to Our Wild World. I'm Ellie Weiss, and my guest is Rory Young with Wild, Wild Foundation and the Chengeta Wildlife uh, Organization working in Mali with the communities, as we've understood so far, if you've been uh, tuned in since we began, a whole shifting landscape with a variety of players challenges, communities, beliefs, and pressures, and uh, what Rory and Chengeta are doing. So um, at the end of the last section, we started talking about uh, all the moving parts that you're involved with. So tell us a little bit about your team and why you are all so suited to fit into this evolving and fluctuating and non-static and non-linear landscape that includes elephants, people, conflict, ivory trafficking, transnational crime, and climate change. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, you have the community brigades who are Malians from their villages, their communities working with their own people. Um, but with the, the breakdown of peace and security, rule of law, the rebellion, and then the, you know, the terrorism, um, it was necessary to form a unit that was able to um, deal with the law enforcement aspect in a war environment. So basically, the community brigades can deal with educating, sensitizing people, uh, monitoring the elephants and so on. But so they're they the social services on- aspect. Not social services. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not teaching people how to, um, you know, deal with their, their personal hygiene. They, no, they, I, I mean, like social they, security, re, uh, uh, keeping they, the connections alive. They are the community. Okay. Uh, community conservation arm. Um, and you needed the law enforcement arm. But the law enforcement can't, is, is not just normal law enforcement. It is, obviously, it's gathering intelligence, information. It is undertaking investigations. Um, but it's also, it has to be very tactically sound um, and, and competent using um, especially existing skills and enhancing those skills such as uh, combat tracking um, and, and you know, bushcraft. And it, it needs to be able to handle the security challenge. Um, you know, we are directly targeted by the different terrorist groups in Mali, our unit. So when we go out, they're trying to kill us. Um, At the same time, we are trying to um, assist the population, protect the population, and uh, ensure they are able to uh, protect the elephants, their forests, and themselves. So our work goes beyond just catching a poacher. It is... Ensuring that the community have have there's a there's a, uh, uh, a sufficient rule of law in the area for them to have the confidence to step up and assist us with information um, or to help each other and protect those elephants. So it is extremely challenging. So um, who is your core team? That when when you say you're headed off to Mali, you and Nigel yeah. are going yes. into Mali. 
Is it just you and Nigel, or do you have a core team? And then this core team works with in in place with the right. um, p- so, jigsaw yes. puzzle that you've been telling us about of all right. these various moving parts. So there's 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 two main thrusts. One is the community project and the efforts, and that is handled by Amali and the, the manager on the ground, the, the, the representative of the ground, who is uh, Nomba Ganame, and he oversees that whole project. We have to be careful. We do not overlap too much with that because if a person is willing to work with civilian um, um, uh, you know, community or NGO-type workers – they, they, we can put them under huge, uh, uh, put them in danger by just being seen with us when we are the law enforcement military arm. Okay. So there are two primary thrusts. We cannot work without that one, and we, we don't work without that one, with the, the community. So the overall doctrine requires that community conservation, and we might get information from, from, from that. And that allows us to, to, to operate. But we do not um, take any risks with those workers or that community. We have to protect them. Then our work is, call it the, the, the hard end of the, the effort. And that's our primary role. And that is training that anti-poaching unit, anti-trafficking unit, um, to find and interdict poachers. Um, Whilst protecting itself from jihadist and other attacks, it's 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 quite simple. The 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 there's no clear line between terrorist, bandit, poacher anymore. So how do you tell the difference when you're out there tracking? If he's um, poaching, he's a poacher. <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that again. If, he, if he's poaching, he's a poacher. So you, you literally in, intercept he, somebody en route to poaching? The, the problem is this. There are people moving everywhere. So when I say our, our, our work is intelligence-driven, we are not randomly driving around hoping to bump into a poacher or pick up someone's tracks. That's in a, in a normal protected area where there are no people that can help. That can work. You know, you 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 set a send off a patrol, and they they just look for tracks. They pick up tracks, and they they can you know they can intercept those those individuals, and they're most likely poachers because it's, they shouldn't be there in the first place. In the gourmet, it's completely different. People are people are allowed to move wherever they want, and the animals, the well, the, the elephants are moving as, where they want. So you've got to protect these animals from the people and the the beg your pardon the criminal elements, um, and that means information. So we work, we act on information, and that information is, is carefully analyzed. And it comes from individuals, from villages. It comes from surveillance operations. It comes from historical uh, activities. So where elephants have in the past been killed, the information on the, 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 the weapons that were used, the cartridges, which direction they came from, where they went, um, the, uh, the, the time of the week, all sorts of things, time of the month, it all plays a role because people are creatures of habit and there's only so many ways you can go from point A to point B um, when you take into, into account terrain, um, culture, religion. You know, for example, Muslims don't, don't, don't uh, go hunting on a Friday. Um, you have market days, you have all sorts of things. So we, we 
we I don't want to I don't want to go into too much detail on this because right. it's operational security reasons. But uh, we our, our job is to teach um, the unit how to gather that information and then how to how to analyze it to understand people's movements and where they're going to be and when. Right. Then you can put observation posts, tracking teams, interdiction teams out to 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 track them down and, and capture them. Sometimes it means um, we have specific information on an individual, which we follow up on, and other times we know there's a particular group operating in a particular area at a particular time. So, for example, the elephants move throughout the year. We're not going to focus on the areas where they're not. We're going to focus on the areas where they are. So... We know if the poachers and the elephants are in this area and the poachers tend to come, we, 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 we figured out their point of origin, um, then we know where to, to look for key terrain where we can intercept them. This reminds me of something I've always said about elephants. They are landscape architects, you know, ecosystem drivers. So in a sense, everything that you do is driven by the elephants. Absolutely. By the elephants and the people, <laughs> both. Um, everything we do is driven by elephants and the people. Um, the, 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 and, and you can start with one and end with the other and start with the other and end with the, the other. It's, it's, well, it's, it's both. You've highlighted that it is truly a shifting, intertwined landscape. And this is really important for our listeners to understand. And you'd mentioned a point of a protected area where people aren't supposed to be. So that's something like the Kruger in Mozambique. You know somebody's not supposed to be there. But in the landscape that you're working in, and you made a really good point that you don't really need to be where the elephants are are not. You need to be mm-hmm. sort of on the trail of where the elephants are in their circular trek. To yes. and, and that pinpoints where your area of activity may be. I hope I'm not giving any security no. away. No, it's it's actually between because we we figure out where the poachers are coming from. Okay, and we know where the elephants are. So obviously it's it's where the elephants the poachers come from where the elephants are and in between. So you're on an interest a <laughs> path of interception. It's all about interception and okay. it's understanding those people's move in movements and their timings. So um what is the f- so you've just returned from Mali. Um yes. you've been there's some great information on your Facebook page Chengeta Wildlife yes. and uh, Wildlife Foundation, Wild Foundation, I'm sorry, and yes. your Facebook page and Nigel's Facebook page. I strongly yes. urge our listeners to go look them up and see what's going on. You'll get a good visual of the landscape and um, the communities and the everything we've just been talking about. So um, what? where are we now in terms of the short, medium, and long-term future? The, the the first milestone was to get the unit up and running and harmonize its activities with the community act, uh, protect, um, wildlife protection activities. And that's, we've achieved that. The second one was the first milestone of deterring poaching for as long as possible and <clears throat> to preempt any, any, any forthcoming announcements. But there has been a major milestone achieved in that regard. Um, so there has been a, a, a significant period where elephants have not been killed, but we can lose all of that if we if we don't keep going and the funding is not is not brought in. So, um, how can people donate? How can they support your work? They 
they can support the work um, through Changeta's webpage um, by donating, by 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 um, spreading the word uh, about what we're doing and the challenges we're we're facing, um, or via via Facebook links to to um, Changeta's webpage or via via Wild Foundation. Um, you also do some crowdfunding efforts every yes. quarter or every, so, don't you? That's right. Every three, four months, we do a, a crowdfunding campaign, and all money to date, 100%, and it's a, a US-based 501c3, um, sorry, 501c3, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's audited properly in the US, everything's very clear and transparent, 100% of all donations have to date gone to operations in the field. All other work is voluntary. So um, we we have no overhead so far. So that has become difficult to maintain. Give yes. us a clue of so on your last crowdfunding, one of your crowdfunding campaigns raised eighty thousand dollars. So yes. is that an idea of what it takes to run a unit yes. on, let's say, one um, one trip to Mali and to do what no. you do? No, it's it's not. It's nowhere near that. Okay. Um, it's it's. The, the cost of the, the, the trainer's fees, and we try to keep our, our own fee as low as possible. Uh, we cover all our own kit costs. We cover all our own, and to, talking about the trainers now, our own insurance costs, etc. cetera, um, unless they're donated privately, which has happened in the past. Um, and then it's, it's the costs of the, the flights in, flights out, um, food, transport, etc. I mean, we, we have... You know vehicles, and then it's you know imagine we've got a whole um, unit. We've got a, a, a military unit with heavy machine guns, RPG sevens, uh, and everything else um, operating out there. So it's all the costs of equipping that unit, running it, so fuel, ammunition, um, etc., and everything from binoculars to um, radios, systems to aircraft, and 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 so on. A lot of that has been donated by the. Uh, Canadian uh, International Fund for Conservation um, via Wild Foundation and Minusma the, is, has supported it. The the um, United Nations Peacekeeping Operation has uh, the Security Structure Reform Project has 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 also supported the project uh, enormously. So um, when you get a, a donation from, let's say, a listener, they go and they donate. Um, yes. Does it end up going toward equipment in what we were just talking about? Does it end up going toward providing food security and some of the it, community brigade work? If it goes, Wild Foundation handles the, the, the community work. Chingeta focuses on actual training. Okay, so that's an important operation. distinction. Yes. So depending on um, where your passion lies, folks you can donate to either side of this equation and know that it will end up um, on the ground where it's intended and, and accomplish the goal. Yeah. But the, the, the project is managed out in the field by Wild Foundation. And the, for example, I mean, on each, each mission, we usually treat about 300 sick people to give you an idea of how many. So we have a medic with an enhanced medical pack uh, a big pile of of uh, medication uh, and a properly trained army medic who treats villages when we go into a village. Um, first of all, it's you know in the areas we're operating in, no one has been into these places since about 2012, 2013. These people can't get out, and no one goes in. Uh, 
So it's too dangerous. Wow. So we, we have to help these people. So the unit is not only doing anti-poaching activities, anti-trafficking and investigations. We're also helping the population. So, um, and it, it, it's, it's not, not purely to help them. I mean, they help us as well. So it's part of the whole, the whole philosophy of um, the doctrine we teach is if you're going to, you need these people to, to stop the elephant poaching, you need to help them. If their needs are, they, they haven't seen a doctor or a nurse in, in five years, you need to help them with that. Well, it's what uh, we've always said. The needs of wildlife and the needs of people are inextricably linked. And as we started this program, conservation really is about people and finding ways to provide the security people need to provide the space that wildlife needs and in today's modern pressure to keep some of these transnational criminal elements out of the landscape. Unfortunately, we're out of time today. Rory, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, You're heading back to Mali soon, correct? Yes, that's correct. So maybe we can catch up and um, have you on again after you get back and uh, catch up on what's going on. That'd be a pleasure. Excellent. So unfortunately, as I said, we're out of time. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. And you're welcome. And I learned a lot. And I know our listeners have been highly educated about an area that a lot of people are not familiar with. So uh, we're out of time today. Thank you for listening. This is Our Wild World. And my guest, Rory Young. Find us on Facebook, the web, and stay tuned and step out into your wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 